You know what's a Mission Impossible, you guys, is getting into a Kroger or a supermarket and just going to get milk. That's <laughs> impossible for me. Milk. I can't do it. I'm coming back and I'm grabbing ice cream or I'm grabbing a candy bar or a Red Bull or something. It's not just milk. <laughs> Same here. My Mission Impossible is going into Target and spending less than $50. It's impossible. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do it. <laughs> you know, what's Mission Impossible for me is driving on the interstate and not dropping one f-bomb fair enough can't do it not gonna happen i can't make any promises it's gonna it's just gonna happen i thought you were gonna say driving the speed limit that's what i thought you were gonna say <laughs> when i have passengers mr gover i drive safely unlike you who gets a ticket with two passengers you brought it up (laughs) that's your mission impossible welcome to the untitled film project podcast uh i am jim chandler along with jeremy k gover and justin bradford and we're talking mission impossible dead reckoning it's the pandemic delayed long-awaited installment of ethan hunt and his imf pals as they're about to take on if you can imagine the most dangerous threat yet Your days of fighting for the so-called greater good are over. This is our chance to control the truth, the concepts of right and wrong for everyone for centuries to come. Let's get initial takes, starting with the very first person on the list of fans for the Mission Impossible franchise. That's Jeremy K. Gover. He's a huge fan. I am. I've been a fan since 1996, you guys. Uh, the first movie came out. I saw it on opening day with a buddy of mine. Shout out to Maddie. Shout out, shout out to Maddie in high school. And uh, we had a good old time. And I've been in love with the series ever since, except for two. It sucked. So <laughs> this movie, <laughs> I it was kind of really cool. And I'm not using this as my score or anything, but I just have to say that my son went with me. So this is the first time you see the Mission Impossible movie in the theater. I'm so happy to uh, have him, I was so happy to have him with me. And uh, I have to say, you guys, it carries the torch for the saga, right? I mean, it's just so great that there are seven of these things and six of them are excellent. They're not even just good. They are excellent. And this follows suit. So my initial thought on Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 is... It carries the torch for the franchise and left me wanting more, despite the fact that it had a two-hour runtime. And that's a triumph. If you can have a two-hour runtime and still make me want more, that is good filmmaking. Two and a half. Two and a half hour. Even furthering my point. It flew by. Exactly. All right. What about Justin Bradford? Your initial take of the Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. So when, when you hear the phrase summer blockbuster, this is the type of movie you think about. This is the type of movie that has every key piece that you would want when it comes to summer blockbuster. It's big. It's big explosions. It's big time actors. It's, it's just big time stories. It's twists. It's incredible music. It's everything in terms of action and that you would want out of a summer blockbuster. That's what this movie is. And in terms of blockbuster, this is the one for the summer. Oppenheimer is going to be big, but this is the blockbuster in terms of general audiences. Just like Maverick last year, Tom Cruise back at it again. Summer blockbuster. This is the type of movie that will get people out of their homes 
and come to the theater for the one or two times that they come to the movie theater. That's what this type of movie is. There's very few that happen every year. This is one of them because it's been five years thanks to the pandemic. This movie has been basically done for a very long time. So much so they had to rush the initial <laughs> teaser last year because it leaked. Went, oh, we better get something out. So the hype and the anticipation for this has been going on for an entire year since we first got teased with the trailer and it lived up to it for me. It had me on the edge of my seat the entire time. The music was just a driving force of adrenaline pumping action. The addition of Haley Atwell was phenomenal. I loved having Vanessa Kirby being back, Rebecca Ferguson, Palm Clementief. I mean, it's an all-star type of cast that they continue to add little pieces and actually build with long dialogue that I actually enjoyed because it built upon the story even that much more. That two hours, 34 minutes did not even seem close to that because it had me going the entire time. That's what a summer blockbuster does, and that's what this movie is. Yeah, I, uh, you know, to build on what you just said, you know, this being the summer blockbuster, I, I kind of had a fever dream that just kind of, you know, went through my head. And it was uh, Tom Cruise in the suit that you see on the posters for this Mission Impossible installment, right? And, but, it, you know, he's, and somebody asks him, a, re a red carpet reporter, and they say, you know, you are the summer blockbuster guy. And he says, no, I'm not. And he does the Mission Impossible, pulls his mask off, and reveals Tom Cruise from last summer in his flight suit and says, I'm the true summer blockbuster guy. Only reinforcing that, like, right now, it's a Tom Cruise world for summer fun movies, and we're just living in it. And uh, I love the fact that we got these back-to-back. -back. I mean, it just cements the fact that whatever you think of Tom Cruise personally, uh, you are just going to get a super movie that's not going to compromise on anything. It's just there to make you entertained. And that's what I was with this, you know, Dead Reckoning. I thought, wow. Again, this is something that is going to get people to the theaters that maybe have stopped going. Maybe they got really used to not going into a theater to see their entertainment anymore. And again, he makes you come back. <laughs> and he'll make you come back next year, too, because Dead Reckoning 2, if I'm not mistaken, comes out next summer. So it's going yes. to be the... The decade of Tom Cruise. <laughs> and it's not the 80s. <laughs> well, because you, you go back and think, I mean, Top Gun Maverick was like his biggest film ever. And where he he surpassed and broke so many box office records with that that he hadn't broken before. We think of him as a big name actor, but he hasn't had blockbusters. They've been classics that have spanned through the age of time and done really well. But Maverick was his blockbuster. That's just it, though, right? Like, if you look at his resume, it's kind of like a Tom Hanks-type resume, where it's like, what, 19 out of every 20 are just massive hits, right? Like, even if they're not hits from the commercial aspect, critically, they're huge hits, right? That's Usually, I think of Tom Hanks and Tom Cruise in the same kind of vein, which is really weird to say out loud, by the way, but in the same, in the <laughs> the same vein, because... That's it's almost like all they do is successes. Like everyone's got their lady killers and Joe versus the volcano. Everyone's got those. But <laughs> the fact, but most people, I would say ninety nine percent of Hollywood have more of those than they do hits. 
but the, the, but Tom Cruise in particular, again, you're right, Jim. Whether you like him or not, whether you agree with him or not, whatever you think about him personally, at the end of the day, you look at his resume, and it's bonkers good. Are you not entertained? Yes, you are. All right, let's get a deeper dive on Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. And this time, let's start with Justin Bradford. So just in looking at this, and, and most people probably won't know it until they know it, but you look at all the projects that Christopher McQuarrie and Tom Cruise have done together, and we wonder why they just have such a good working aspect together, whether it's writing or directing, because they've worked on so many projects together that Christopher McQuarrie obviously is the person in the creative aspect that gets Tom Cruise, gets how to use him to his full potential, puts him out there to put out a huge blockbuster hit. I mean, they've worked on so many different projects together. I mean, obviously the Mission Impossible ones, but also Top Gun Maverick, Edge of Tomorrow, he's writers on that. Um, the Mummy, eh. <laughs> Jack Reacher. I mean, they've worked on so many different projects together that they have such a familiarity that the expectation now has got to be they're going to make a hit because they just get it. And, and that's a good expectation to have because they're proving it time and time again as they've continued to progress in this as well. What do you guys think? Is it, is it good to have this type of healthy relationship? We've seen so many different actors and directors work on multiple projects together. But for Tom Cruise to be a lead in something as well and work together like this, what are your guys' thoughts? I couldn't agree more. I, I think when you have a really good director and a quality actor that find to be themselves to be muses for each other that work off each other and have great expectations and they're on the same page you know i love those relationships and you know we only benefit when those things happen they both got to be great at what they do they've got to respect each other but when that happens i mean the success rate just goes through the roof with people that work well together there is a danger to that, though, right? I mean, this is a this is a thing where, like, I immediately think of like Samuel L. Jackson and Quentin Tarantino, right? Or you know, Leonardo Leonardo DiCaprio, and like, you know, they've all got their. It's it's weird. If you go to the well too many times, you start being associated with one another, and that can be that can be a detriment to the project. Whereas I I've stopped seeing. Johnny Depp and Tim Burton things. There's, you know, whatever the example you want to give, right? That's a good one. Like I, it's, I, I can't yeah. separate sometimes because it's like, oh, of course he's in that film because Wes Anderson, sure. right? With 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 uh, what's Jason the, what's Schwartzman. Thank you, Jason Schwartzman. <laughs> right. So like, it's like, of course Jason Schwartzman's in this. It's a Wes Anderson film. So there, there, there's a danger there. But I think if it really works, there's a window of time. I'd call it. I just ballpark it four films where you can go to the well as many times as you want within that four or five range, I think. Again, in close proximity to release dates now. Not if it's like in the 90s and then the 2000s. And the, that's not what I'm talking about. I just mean in the close range. I, I, I think it can... It, there's some magic that's there because you get there's a familiarity between both, both parties. And you're obviously not doing it with a crappy actor or director, right? You're not being like, oh, I like yep. this. This this guy is cool. We, we get along real well. He sucks, but he's really cool. like that's not happening, right? Like there's a there's a mutual talent there. Well, and what we're seeing now with where Mission Impossible has been going, with them working together in three Mission Impossible films: Rogue Nation, Fallout, Dead Reckoning. We're seeing a consistency in the storyline as something that's building and building and building. Whereas some of the other Mission Impossible films, there were one-offs, which is totally fine. 
to have some one-offs there too because they're still entertaining aside from two and and fun and great and adventurous with twists and everything like that aside from two but all you have now consistency in this because it's not like you have to watch the one before like i think you could go into dead reckoning you'd be a little lost but you're still going to be highly entertained and you're going to be filled in based on context clues to what can go on. And that's strong for a movie like this. And I think that's credit to the director writer because Chris McCrory is both in this, that you can make a great film that you don't have to like Marvel. Sometimes you can feel very lost if you don't here, they're referencing enough from fallout that it's not everything. It's just minor references based on characters, actions, things like that. But I like that little bit of a consistent wave of a story that they're building upon the character to make you even feel more attached to characters that Tom Cruise and Rebecca Ferguson are playing. And I wrote about this in our in, in my in my daily review series leading up to the Mission Impossible uh, Dead Reckoning release. Is you'll notice that you're right. There's a bunch of one-offs. Even the supporting cast, for the most part, not Ving Rhames, that's a different story, but for the most for the most part, the supporting cast, all the agency goes to the, to do the job with, meaning Ethan Hunt, of course, change, right? And there's there's an element of like, well, it's, it's not awkward, but I don't understand why we're supposed to trust that person. Are they, are they a double agent? Like, there's all these different things, which can work for the movie, because if you're always changing, you don't know who the bad guy is and whatever, you know. Whereas now, you know, we go watch Dead Reckoning and we know Benji's not a bad guy. We know Ving Rhames is not a bad guy. We know that, you know, Rebecca Ferris is not a bad guy. So, but it, but you could think that in the other ones. My point of saying all this is that uh, Rogue Nation finally introduced a settlement of those characters. And I wrote about this in my review as well, right? You finally had Solomon Lane, a villain who then would carry over. You finally had the introduction of Rebecca Ferguson who would carry over. You finally had Benji as an actual field agent for good you know Ving Rams is not doing cameos anymore he's actually in the movie Jeremy Renner was there for a while. so you're introducing all this kind of stability which I think only helps the saga going forward is that you have these things that you can count on there's going to be new variables but these things that you can count on I think Bradford's absolutely right yeah, you know, oh. if we if we're gonna get into, I gotta cut that off because he's simply glowing too much, and I don't even want him to <laughs> to revel we in can't, this. Can't, can't have uh, any of that. But yeah, I mean, talk. Let's talk about this movie itself. That in some of the plot points, uh, how fortuitous for them to have a delayed movie in which the villain is an AI. At exactly oh the my point God. where everyone is predicting, including the creators of AI, are predicting that AI could be the worst thing for humankind. And the movie hits. It felt perfectly timed. If it came out earlier, I don't think it would have hit as well. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree. And, and here's the thing. You think about when they started writing this, it was probably, what, three years ago at least? Yeah. to start the writing process and to predict all this and where we're at now where people are up in arms over the secret invasions intro being done by generative ai and photoshop ai and all these different things chat gpt and universities using this and people that write contracts using ai all these things that are learning about what humans do to where when's it going to become aware and this directly hits by like people are going to see this and probably feel even more scared <laughs> about things because <laughs> you're seeing this. And I like how right off the bat in the intro, what one, I love how mission impossible has long intros. Yes. I love this because it's setting up so much of the story. And then all of a sudden it hits you with the intro. Like, Oh man, like it gets you more hyped. Like that was just the intro. Now we're going to dive. Uh, so that's what I liked about it. And you see this right off the bat 
with the submarine and what happens and it had made me do the oh shit, this is what we're gonna do this this is real this is real now that's not prediction this is now so i really did enjoy that part that how the forward thing that they had of what the future could hold when it comes to national security when it comes to power everything like that of going on the route of where we're going just as humans yeah yeah it just it just it felt uh, like the stakes were higher and more real than maybe some of the other ones where they're still fun but they don't feel like chimera personal you know <laughs> like this could this stop could be going on stop okay we have disagreement we're uh, he brought up mission impossible to mute him for 10 seconds that's his penalty <laughs> yeah yeah take take a seat <laughs> i knew i'd trigger him with that one i know that was pretty good. keep a straight face let, let, let me just let me just say that I think the I think the AI thing is interesting because you're right the timing of it is pretty crazy right and we've seen this with other projects recently too where all of a sudden something will come up and you're like whoa doesn't didn't that just happen like in the news like two weeks ago yeah. and then all of a sudden there's this portrayal on screen right so uh, you can't predict that it just happens which I think is it's just more of the phenomenon that Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning is going to be but to me let's not pretend that this is a new concept either. Like the Terminator series is all predicted True. that there's, totally. you know, right? Terminator Genesis, which got panned, but I really enjoy as a rewatchable movie. Terminator Genesis works with this exact thing. It's it, it's not Skynet anymore. It's Genesis. And Genesis is this AI program that's feeding itself because as it learns about human activity and it's going to take over the world because it's learning from... So it, it's not a new concept, but I love the fact that Here's this hero in Ethan Hunt that we've seen over and over and over again. And now this AI, which is not a physical thing, like it, it just adds so much intrigue to how is he going to stop it? How is it going to be thwarted? How can he get ahead of it? And I think that's, I think the thing I wanted answered the most, you guys, coming into this movie. I wanted to see, I told my son this. I said, look, man, like, you know, uh, Fallout was about nuclear war. And the one about that was, you know, or the couple before that were about like countries, you know, going to war with each other. And blah, 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 blah. the biological weapon of Chimera was on there. The, every, if you look at every one, they kind of up the ante, right? Which, which you have to do if you're, if you're an action star. You can't just go back to, you know, That's I don't know, homelessness or something. Same guy, but a different scenario. Yeah. yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's got to, it, you got to up the ante. So they've done that. But I told him, I go, what's big? I told my son this. I go, what's bigger than nuclear war? I don't know what more they can give us unless he's going to space. Right. And then, but, but they found something. And not only did they find something, which is AI, but they happened to drop it at the exact moment in human history where AI is on the front pages every effing day. Yep. It's crazy awesome. Uh, let's talk about the introduction of uh, Haley Atwell's character. Uh, I, I, it's amazing how often they have brought in, you know, a beautiful woman to, you know, spend a lot of screen time with Tom Cruise. We expect that from most movies. Uh, but, uh, I mean, and we've gotten that before Michelle Monaghan. We, you know, of course, uh, uh, we have Rebecca Ferguson, who's a fan favorite. Uh, and then we bring in Haley Atwell, who I think is maybe another new fan favorite. I think her character of, of being a little bit of a foil to Ethan Hunt 
and you know uh, presenting a challenge to him in a way that maybe the other characters didn't was a great excellent addition to this part of the franchise i love the addition of Haley atwell i love it so stinking much she was fantastic in her role it's great seeing her taking on more action as well too and you think most people associate Haley atwell still with peggy carter I mean, that sure. is still continuing to follow her. That's that's who she is to so many people. So it's really great to see her in a non-Marvel role and in such a big movie. It's not like it's a one. There's other projects that she's obviously done between right. then and now. But this is a blockbuster type movie that puts you just on the general scope of things to where it's like, oh, yeah, she is very capable of being more than, than Peggy Carter, which so many people already knew. But in terms of the general pop culture perspective... This helps that so much because we already know we're going to see more of her in Mission Impossible in part two as well. So I, I love the addition of her. I love, Jim, what you said about being a little bit of a foil. But obviously they make you care about her so quickly, so very quickly, and make Ethan Hunt care about her so, so quickly. That's an incredible job just overall in terms of director and writing to have that happen. But she's also just very, very likable on screen. She's so likable because it's not one of those where – like in tr the first Transformers, Megan Fox didn't really fit. <laughs> like it is just not yeah. equal. What? Don't give me that. They put something out there that is that, that I think Megan Fox, it was not something to where it was a, almost distracting. Are, are you saying she was just eye candy and nothing more? It's Michael Bay. Of course they put her in there for eye candy. <laughs> she can act, dude. I know she. I'm talking about the first Transformers when she was very young, too. This is a long time ago. That's what I'm talking ago. about. Okay, besides the point. Uh, Haley she Atwell did after that movie. Yeah, Haley Atwell comes in, and her chops are very much there, too, and there's no distraction at all. She's not there to be eye candy. She's an important piece of this film, too, because they center so much around her and the character that she's building, too. And I love that it's not just putting her in there to be eye candy or a beautiful woman to be in the movie. They put her in there because she plays an important role. That's what I really enjoy about Haley Atwell. I feel like it's important for me to say here that I think that hopefully that overtness of eye candy, like putting, I hope that's over. I hope so. Okay, yeah. we, we've, mm -hmm. we've crossed into a, a part of society and pop culture and just culture in general, honestly, American society that I hope those days are over where it's just, yeah. oh, you're cast because you're gorgeous and we just need something to look, something to look at for the 45 minutes you're on the screen. Like, there's got to be more to it. You want an attractive people, of course. Okay, but I'm just saying, like, it's not just for that. Like, they actually have to have a... And to your point, Bradford, they have to serve a purpose. They've got to be part of the plot. They can, it, It's got to be more about just them, right? There's all those things. And Haley Atwell does have that. But I would also argue, again, that Rebecca Ferguson had that. 100%. Right? She, was, she was eye candy, if you will, in uh, Rogue Nation. Because she comes out of the pool like Bo Derek and Ten and like all this just kind of <laughs> kind of crap, okay? But yep. at the same time, she's not there just for that. She's she's an MI6 retired MI6 or disavowed MI6 person, right? You know, like she's part of the plot. She's now, of course, going forward. She's extremely smart. She's got this great action move she can do of leaping on someone's shoulders and taking them down with her legs. So she's more than that. And I'm I, I'm just, all this to say, I hope that. We never have to say that again about how, oh, she was just eye candy. I hope that is over. Michael Bay, I hope you're listening. Amen. Amen.
Uh, yeah, there are there's there's times in in movie history where a certain way of presenting things just has run its course, and I hope sure. that that's exactly the case here in any meaningful movie that comes out that we're past at. What did you guys think of the stunts? Let's talk about them. Uh, let's save the motorcycle <laughs> jump since we, we've had one. that for about a year. <laughs> uh, talk to me about uh, the stunts and the action sequences. Uh, what did you like? What did you, didn't you like in uh, Dead Reckoning? So I love how at the very end of the film, the credits are about to be over, and it says about, that they really didn't drive a car on the steps in Rome that was all built on a set. <laughs> I, I was like, I feel like they had to address that for the historical prominence of it. I don't know if Fast X did that because I was getting some connections between Fast X, Rome, Mission yes. Impossible, Rome, going, these are some similar things. They're driving down steps, but Mission Impossible did it first. They filmed first. <laughs> so... When they're driving that little yellow Fiat, I, I I love the comedy they put into this. Because I don't feel like I've felt as much of that before in Mystery Impossible. There's definitely moments that make you giggle. Like, <laughs> Tom Cruise and Haley Atwell did a fantastic job of adding bits of physical humor into that chase sequence with the little yellow Fiat. When it came up on screen that, oh, safe car. And it pulls away <laughs> and that's the one that juts out. Like, okay. And, and jumping... Back and forth between who's driving. Right, there with and... the handcuffs and everything, too. That was an incredibly well-choreographed type of, of chasing. It was something different. It, it actually added something different from what we've seen in the past. Because there's so many car chasings in action movies, right? This one added something a little bit different. Because she's still trying to escape, which she does. Leaves him with the steering wheel. But through all of that, how they're having to manage driving through Rome in this little yellow Fiat while being chased by not just one entity, but three different entities... I mean, <laughs> that's multiple things that are chasing after them that they're having to battle against. I really enjoyed that chase sequence a lot, and that's very memorable to me because of the humor associated with it, too. You mean there was no ex ex-fiance that came to try to involve themselves? It didn't mean anything? I don't know. <laughs> Indiana Jones and the beating of the dead horse. <laughs> I'm going to jump ahead of the the motorcycle stunt off the cliff and get to the train sequence in which, uh, you know, there's an automatic, I think, intensity when we have that, you know, amount of action and plot points being had inside a closed vehicle nobody can leave. I mean, for example, just in the last year, bullet train for, you know, action and, you know, but there's actually things happening that, that move the plot forward. Uh, and then it becomes, you know, okay, <laughs> are they gonna go off of this exploded bridge into the abyss and they're holding on? Those scenes were, I was gripping the, you know, the arm rails of these seats because I felt it. Like, I haven't felt something in a long time that, like, oh, no. And I, I just really appreciate the way they presented that and, and the cascading, like, oh, we, whew, the train stopped. Oh, now it's going to 
you know, it's moving forward and tipping over. You know, it, it just it, it kept upping the action, and I, I just thought that was a terrific action sequence. And isn't that a successful one, too, when in this big-budget movies like this where the main character is involved in this gripping scene, your brain actually thinks it is possible for him to, that, for this train to go. He probably won't die, but then that is just another can of worms that has been opened. How's he going to get out of that? Procedure? Like, it's, it's, it's crazy to me that, that when you involve the main character in a scene like that, it's that good. It's so good that you actually think, no, no, that train can fall. Because in a lesser movie, if you're like, oh, that's the title character, he's not, he's not going to die. This is, you don't think that. So I'm, yeah, it was, it was awesome. All right. Well, it's obvious that we we don't like this movie at all. Uh, so we should probably just uh, put it down with some final scores. All right. Can we put a number to our enthusiasm for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning? I'd like to kick it off by saying they achieved a couple of things that hasn't happened to me in a movie theater in a few times. There was two things that I knew were going to happen in this film before I saw it. Uh, One, I know that there's going to be the incredible motorcycle stunt, right? We've seen it. We've watched it over and over, seen it on YouTube, all these different things. And two, it's right in the title. This is a two-parter. Okay, it's part one of two movies. So I know that going into the movie and as I'm watching this movie that I think just, I mean, goes from zero to 60 in nothing. uh, And just you just try to hang on for this entire movie. I was so engrossed in the plot and the action and what felt like, you know, real danger to the characters we've come to love that one, I forgot that the motorcycle scene was coming until he got on the motorcycle. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. We have the, the hit single stunt has yet to come. And it actually happened again at the end of the movie when they remind you this is the end of part one. And I was like, oh, that's right. It's a two-parter. And I say that because I knew those things going in. But this movie entertained me so thoroughly that I forgot all those things because I was focused at every moment in the moment they were on the screen. I wasn't able to just step back and like, you know, call up my subconscious of these things I already knew. So uh, for that, I give major props. I love Haley Atwell. Uh, the addition of uh, Palm Clementief, uh, who I didn't recognize for a little while, as uh, you know, uh, her Guardians of the Galaxy character, uh, as a as a fun assassin who's going to be around, you know, for part two. Uh, I I just they did everything they needed to do correctly. Uh, Tom Cruise knows how to make a blockbuster. McAuliffe knows how to make a blockbuster. This is just uh, you know they're setting their own bar too high. I'm giving Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning a nine. Whoa! It was my favorite movie of the franchise so far. Whoa! Truly. I, I really had that much... honestly shocked. Yeah. Wow. I, I don't know why Gover shocked. We've talked so positively on it. Let's go <laughs> has this little tally sheet of minus, no, minus, but, minus. No, but, dude, a nine coming. is like, that's crazy stupid. That's why I'm just shocked by that. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was eight and a half or nine, and I said, you know what? 
these don't come along very often. Got to give out the nine when it's deserved. Justin Bradford, what do you think? So I, I've said so many great things. The one thing I wanted to touch on, which is personal to me, not a discussion topic you all would want to partake in, is the score uh, <laughs> with Lauren Balfe. And he's worked on just what two of the Mission Impossible films. And what gets my adrenaline pumping is when you hear the snare drum right at the beginning. You hear that drum hit, and you're like, oh, here we go. Like, it is just one of those things that the scores for Mission Impossible, especially the previous two now, including Dead Reckoning, it is repetitive with the theme. It is very repetitive with the theme, and I don't care because I hear that going, and my heart is pumping, and it is beating, and it is the adrenaline's pumping, and I'm very excited, and I love it. And you add in the, the military snare drum aspect of it, plus the repetitiveness of the theming of the dun 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 dun, where they're taking it in different ways, using it as, like, a, use like a, a flute it, quietly yes. in the background. All these different ways that they're utilizing it, I absolutely love it because it does add to the movie and it builds up that intensity of an action sequence or a chase sequence or the drama as well. So very very well done with the score and and i'm just hoping i'm assuming he's continuing to work on with dead reckoning part two as well um palm clementief loved her addition to it and love the spoiler heel turn that that happens with her as well that was predicted by the ai as well too um Haley atwell again absolutely wonderful rebecca ferguson i really hope we do see more somehow because she is one of my favorites. She is so much one of my favorites. I, I love Rebecca Ferguson. And folks, if you haven't seen some of these fantastic interviews from like Kevin McCarthy or other creators as well with Rebecca Ferguson or with Palm there and Haley, there's so many wonderful interviews on the press tour for this film. And it's great, great content as well, too. So I highly recommend you go see that. Um, Edge of my seat the entire time. Huge summer blockbuster. You got to see it on a big screen, and it's not going to last long on a big screen because Oppenheimer's bulldozing through. So you have to find Barbie. You have to find a way to see this on the big screen and experience in the best way possible. A home theater is not going to do this movie near as much justice as an actual huge movie theater will. A small screen theater will not do it justice. IMAX, Dolby, the huge ones, wherever. You have to experience it like that. Nine out of ten for me. Ooh, matching nines. Okay, now, this is very interesting because uh, the F Mission Impossible franchise is your favorite thing. Uh, Jeremy K. Gover, your standards. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering, where does this fit in as far as a score? Well, okay, so here's the deal, right? It's another incredible cold open. They managed to raise the stakes after the nuclear war plot from the previous movies, which is very hard to do. Killing off Rebecca Ferguson's character was a shock to me. I thought, okay, they're clearly ending the series because they're starting to kill off characters. I, I, I think my mouth fell open and it, did, and it just stayed open for a while. It was just unbelievable. I just couldn't believe they did that. It left me wanting more. And that's extremely hard to do, as we mentioned earlier, because the two and a half hour runtime, but also, and maybe even more importantly, because it was the seventh movie in the franchise. You still, I still want more. It's just un that's unfathomable to think of. It was a little slow in parts. It might be confusing for some people, and it was not as rewatchable to me as Rogue Nation, Ghost Protocol, or the original. So for those reasons, I give it an eight. Well, there you go. So uh, two nines and an eight mean yeah, we we just thought this thing was a piece of trash. Uh, don't. <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> it's like the dad saying that the dinner sucked, but his plate's empty, Jim. <laughs> exactly. That's actually exactly what it's like. Uh, it's it, I I didn't expect more. I'm I'm thrilled that it was this good. I loved it. I, I'm gonna go see it at least two more times in the theater. But when I think about it at first blush, I think okay, Ghost Protocol, the original, and Rogue Nation. Those are my top three most rewatchable Mission Impossible movies. This would not compete with those, and so therefore now by part two, if you treat it as one movie. It probably will, right? I was but about right to now, ask. I was about to yeah, ask, but man. right now, just as part one, it's it's not it's it's not quite there. It's close, but it's not quite there. Maybe on a second watch, it might be too. I'll be curious if you put something out there after you watch it again. Follow me on Twitter at it's Govertime and on Threads at G, at GoverJKG. I would be say, happy to tell you. I want to Threads too. <laughs> As we like to do every week on the Untitled Film Project Podcast, we have a big question. And on today's episode, we are slanting the big question to fit their skill set. Austin Olivia Kendrick, welcome to the Untitled Film Project Podcast. We cannot believe you're actually here with us. <laughs> no, thank you so much for having me. Like, ranting about sound is like my favorite thing to do. So thank you for giving me an opportunity to do it. Then this question is going to be right up your alley, at least for me, right? If you don't know Austin, by the way, you know her work. She's worked on projects like Monster High, Barry, Rugrats, Wolfpack, etc. And she's just uh, an incredible follow on TikTok as well, so make sure you go follow her. So with Austin in mind and her background, this week's big question is, what is your biggest pet peeve when going to the theater? So when you're watching a movie, what is Ooh. your biggest pet peeve? <laughs> that you can't believe they got something wrong or how could that get in there or why did they miss whatever it may be what is your biggest pet peeve and we're actually going to give her time to bake on that and i'm going to start with justin bradford oh you're gonna start with me <laughs> no pressure no pressure no so mine is not with the movie it's auxiliary noise in the theater taking me out of the movie all right so mm -hmm. that's big for me so i i do not understand why concession food companies put food in the loudest wrappers possible and then people will open them during That's the so quietest fair. moments like <laughs> I, when i went to go see a quiet place which oh no oh no this is actually funny because this couple came in with a huge bucket of popcorn huge bucket sorry, i can't hear you sorry what was that they sat down when the previews were ending and they took a couple crunches during the very beginning of the movie, and they, luckily they realized, oh, this is not the time or the place. The end of the movie, and the bucket was still full. Because <laughs> they oh realized gosh. how bad of a decision it was. But that's my pet peeve, is, is people that make auxiliary noise during a movie. I'm trying to watch the film, I'm trying to enjoy the sound that I'm hearing, and somebody could take me out of it, whether it's bringing a toddler to a movie where they probably shouldn't be, unless they can be quiet, and that's totally okay, because I understand. But if you can't be quiet, then don't go. That's mine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow, that's a phenomenal that's answer, Bradford. I'm so proud thank of you, you for that. That was, oh, that was excellent. Thank you so much for talking down to me. <laughs> you're, more, you're more than welcome. Jimmy, you want to go next? <laughs> sure. Uh, I hope this fits into the category, but it has to do with dialogue. Um, and it's more to do with uh, maybe screenwriters. I've had them explain this to me, but not to my satisfaction. One of my biggest pet peeves is watching a character on a one-sided phone conversation and the conversation might be you know we need to get together and talk about this whatever the seriousness of this situation is and they go 
All right, dinner, Thursday night. And then they hang up. So, one, they haven't given any oh. details of where they're going to meet, when they're going to meet, and the thing that's universally, uh, I've been told by so many screenwriters, is they will not say goodbye or even something that just gives you a little bit of like, okay, later. You know, just nothing that, that it gives you closure there. And, and I, I understand thematically, sometimes they just want to, they don't want that little artificial ending within a scene. But give me some details. Like, all right, I'll see you at the pub at yeah. seven. Bye. You know? <laughs> 100%. It would definitely make it more realistic for sure, which was mm -hmm. what you want, right? You want to feel realistic. So we're going to leave Austin till last. She's going to, you know, be the anchor here, obviously, with her expertise and knowledge. So I'll just give you mine. And it, it's something that's bothered me for years. And I can't figure it out, but I also, I'm sure there's also a logistical reason for it, right? I guess maybe most of the time. Is when there's an over-the-shoulder shot of the person talking. But you can't see their lips moving, right? You can all, you're, you're seeing the reaction shot from whoever they're on screen with. <clears throat> whoever they're on screen with. And what happens is their chin or their mouth movements don't match up with the dialogue. And mm -hmm. it's like, okay, but mm -hmm. the reaction shot you're cutting to isn't like a big, it's not like, <gasps> like, it's not this huge animated, it's just like, it's just standing there. Why are you, <laughs> why, why couldn't you get the mouth to, so again, I'm sure there's like reshoots and like a redial, you know, dialogue rereads and things like that. But to, to me as an, yeah, as an audience goer, it drives me crazy because I see it all the time. And if, you know, yeah. if it comes down to, look, we had to do it, then okay, fine. But again, as someone is sitting in the theater it always takes me out of the movie because I'm like, why are they talking? But it doesn't match. So that is my biggest pet peeve. That's fair. Uh, I would say, oh my God. Okay. I'm going to be so real with you. My biggest pet peeve when I go see a movie is myself um, because <laughs> I am, I am so unable to turn my brain off at this point yes. you know i rem i remember i um i went and saw john wick for opening night um th so thursday night screening and i went straight from work to the theater so i barely had time to switch off my brain and the movie was fantastic i, yes, I enjoyed every moment of it but I could not get my brain to shut up it would not stop being like <laughs> okay there's adr Okay, they're back to a love. Boom. Love. Oh, okay, back to love. ADR. And I'm like, oh my God, shut up and enjoy the movie. You know? It, it's. It, You're charting it in, with your, dialogue, in your brain. It's something where. Exactly. Well, it's something where with dialogue, you, you've been so trained to focus in and listen to all of those little things, you know, and the fact that I can pick up on those things doesn't say anything to the quality of the dialogue edit or the work that was done. You know, it is something just that when your ear and your brain have been trained to do that for like 10 hours a day, um, it becomes very difficult to turn that part of your brain off. Um, I was actually just recently uh, visiting my sister. She lives out in Dallas and we were, we, you know, just hanging out on the couch watching movies. And I just involuntarily, we were watching, I think it was, um, but I'm a cheerleader. And every so often I would just be like, 
ADR. And she's like, shut up. Stop. <laughs> like, I'm like, I can't. I'm sorry. I, like, she's like, Austin, I love you, but you were, you were ruining the movie and you've got to stop. So, um, it, it's, it's, I am, I am my own worst enemy on that front. Okay. So I am, I am my own biggest pet peeve. <laughs> we, we hear that a lot. I think like, we're all sports guys, right? And so we hear, we talk to coaches and players and stuff, and you'll see coaches in particular, they'll go watch their, you know, their son play or another team or whatever it is. And they're like, oh, I wouldn't do that. I would have fixed that. Or that play would have been different. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and, but you can't turn it off, right? Stand-up comedians, same thing. They, they, they've perfected their craft over 20 years. They go watch somebody to support them, and they can't help mm-hmm. but say, oh, I would have put, the timing of there was a little bit off, and it was just they should have had this punchline added this tag. So I, I, don't, I don't fault you at all for that. I think it's just the nature of the business, right? I mean, George Lucas said one time, he said something like, I'm the only person on Earth who hasn't seen Star Wars. Yeah. Because he created it's it. Hard so he, he never got to enjoy it. out of it. It's really difficult. When I say, like, I, I pick apart a dialogue at it as I listen to it, I that says nothing to, like, oh, they didn't do a good enough job because I can make those. No, no. sure. The, and I also, I, I, I have no idea the circumstances under which they had to handle that dialogue edit, you know? Certain productions are incredibly difficult, and sometimes you kind of just got to, you can't get it perfect. You kind of just got to make peace with it and let go, you know? And so it, it says nothing to the quality of that dialogue editor's work. I'm just, I, my brain never shuts up. <laughs> <laughs> well, it means you care about what you do. <laughs> mm-hmm. I do. I love what I do more than anything. You've been listening to the Untitled Film Project podcast chat about Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, part one in theaters now. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed things. Uh, If you want to interact with us, we have more platforms than Mark Zuckerberg. Tell them about it, JBB. Yes, we are on threads, so make sure you're following us there. I've been trying to as much as possible post all of gover's reviews jesus yeah uh, look up there look i'm a one-trick I'm, pony you guys i write okay that's so that's how it's gonna horrific. be thick so that means he's admitting that he can't talk well uh, <laughs> <laughs> facebook instagram TikTok as well is where you'll find a lot of our highlights and youtube especially you can always watch our episodes on youtube just go to untitled untitled film untitled film project pod.com that's that is a mouthful thank you for listening to the untitled film project podcast to support the show please rate review follow and subscribe original music by jeremy schwartz special thanks to the music city film critics association editing and post production by jeremy k gover voiceover by chad bennett